Well, have you ever faced one of those challenges, uh, difficulty so big you didn't know what to do? I think we've all faced that, where you feel like you're off the map if you have a map, and if you have a map, you don't have a compass, but you probably don't have the compass or the map. All of us, at some point or another, face a big challenge, and we're in uncharted territory. That's what we usually call it, and in that situation, when we don't exactly know where we're at and we don't know which direction to turn, we need wisdom, and wisdom is that connection between our logical brain in our emotional heart, those two things fuse together that gives us the, the instructions, enables us to make right decisions, to, to make appropriate choices. And the bigger the challenge, of course, the more wisdom we need. Now, here's one problem, though. None of us are born with wisdom. Nobody is born wise. There's no wise babies, and there's no wise toddlers, that's for sure. If you think there's wise toddlers, it's because you don't have a toddler in your life. But we all have to learn it, and we learn by asking, asking for wisdom, asking for help. I'm joined today by, uh, with Michael Foster, who's our online campus pastor here at Crossings, and Brett Williams, director of IT here at Crossings. And guys, um, because I don't want to share, I would love for you to share the dumbest thing you remember doing simply because you refused to ask for advice or help, okay? <laughs> Wow, we can go so many places with that one. Um, I know this probably isn't the dumbest thing I've ever done because I've done some pretty dumb things in my life. Uh, but as I was praying about this, uh, God kept putting this scenario in my mind. I believe I was around 16, 17 years old and I was replacing the starter on my truck. I always enjoy trying to fix my own vehicles. And as I you know, grew up watching my dad, I had this ambition vision that I could do any repair myself. And so one day my starter went out, I decided I would try to replace my starter myself. And, you know, I was feeling very confident. I had the starter out in no time at all. And two hours later, I was still fighting with trying to get the new starter in. And for some reason, I just could not get the bolts to line up. I was so mad. I, I was throwing wrenches. I was, I'm sure I was cussing up a storm at that time. And my stepdad, he would come out from time to time and he would say, Hey, would you like some help with that? And I would always tell him, you know, no, I don't need your help. I'll figure this out myself. And about the third time uh, he came out, he could sense I was really upset and he went back inside. He didn't say anything. And shortly after I come in and I'm just in tears, you know, I am defeated that I cannot get this starter in myself. And I'm in there and he's just, he looks at me and he says, Hey, would you like some help with that? And I said, you know, reluctantly, yes. Can you come help me? And he was so patient. He came out and he said, Hey, before we crawl under this truck, I want you to just take a few deep breaths, take a few deep breaths with me. So we took a few deep breaths. He goes, now let's see what we're missing, right? And, and it wasn't, hey, you were missing something. He goes, hey, what are we missing here, okay? And so we just took a little bit different perspective, a little different look at it. And within 10 minutes later, the truck was back together and started. And I was, I was happy again. I think half the guys listening to this right now are going, what's a starter? <laughs> Is that the thing you put the key into? How about you, Michael? 
And I, I think about that story and, and, and throwing wrenches and, and it's really um, pretty, uh, pretty much on point for every time I try to work on any kind of vehicle, I end up throwing something and I, I don't know what makes it, it doesn't really make you feel any better or help the situation, but it's one of those things that, that throwing wrenches really does kind of help in, in some way or, or another, uh, at least it just does me. So um, that, that, that feels very familiar. You know, when I think about some of the advice is I remember being in um, early high school, maybe maybe upper middle school, trying just to assert my masculinity and, and how strong I was. And I think we're helping move somebody. And it wasn't that um, I refused to ask for advice, it's that I refused to listen to the advice. And there were so many people that walked by and, and said, hey, do you need some help with that? I found the heaviest, most um, biggest box that I could and, and I picked it up and it was obviously too heavy for me to carry around. And there were so many people offering help and, and, and asking me, do you need some help? Well, obviously later I took a couple steps, dropped and broke everything inside the box. And I'm sure there were like pictures and heirlooms and that kind of stuff. I felt so embarrassed um, because I, uh, people knew that I needed help. I knew that they knew I needed help, but I wanted to try to prove to them that I didn't need that help. And it just always just breaks into shambles. And that happens so many different times in so many different ways. And I'll share that, that story from long ago because some of those are a little too close to home to share even um, with some trusted friends like you guys. That's <laughs> yeah, so, so true. We could, we could fill podcast after podcast after podcast of dumb things that we did just because we refused to ask for help or seek some counsel, some advice, no doubt about it. I think you're sitting well, on a gold mine there, Bill. Yeah, right. Exactly. I don't know. We might get bored uh, telling these stories or we might have a runaway blockbuster of a podcast telling those stories. You know, last time we were together, the big theme that we talked about was was what one of the early church fathers, uh, James, says. He, he talked about how challenges and trials mature us and make us complete. And that is definitely not something we like to talk about. It's not something we like to think about. We would much prefer life to be smooth and easy coast, particularly after we come to faith. We think, man, once I turn stuff over to God, Jesus takes the wheel and everything, the ride becomes smooth and there's no more storms. But of course, that's not how it is. Life is full of ups and downs, difficulties, and uh, what James said, and we talked about last week, is the flip side, is you come out stronger, is if you, if you figure it out, if you actually have some joy in it, you end up a stronger person. And, uh, and James, he, he said, you know, some of the challenges that, that you come into contact with, you don't know what to do. And so that's where he turns in our, our text today that we're looking at. This is James chapter one, verses five through eight. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because, well, the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. And what James isn't saying is like, hey, if you just want to be a wise Socrates or Aristotle kind of person, just you know, ask God to help you be that kind of person. No, he's, this is like the guy who's facing a real hurdle and he doesn't know how to get over it. He doesn't even have a friend he can turn to and say, what should I do here? When you're in that kind of situation in particular, well, what do you do? And what James says is just ask God and that's it. And you ask God for wisdom. And he says, when you ask God, he gives to generously to all without finding fault. And it'll be given to you. And it was really interesting here because 
I'm always personally as a historian, I'm always fascinated with the contrast of early Christianity to the culture around it. And the culture around it, like a, a Roman wouldn't have thought to ask Zeus for wisdom because Zeus couldn't be trusted, you know. And we see some truths here. First of all, is you can ask the Lord Almighty because God is a generous giver. That's what James says. He's a generous giver. He loves to give to all. And unlike the, you know, the Greek and the Roman Egyptian gods, they, they expected to receive gifts. God, our God, wants to give gifts, particularly the gift of wisdom. But the one true God, he, he not only loves to give, but he won't think less of you. This is the second truth. God won't think less of you. He loves to give, and he won't think less of you for asking. In fact, he'll think more highly of you for your humility. And so, uh, uh, Michael and Brett, I'm just wondering, does this resonate with you? Does that make sense? How, how have you experienced these truths? You know, it's, it's hard to ask for help. Um, and, and sometimes you just need those, those things to kind of push you into the, um, to the asking. And for me, it's that, it's that idea that, that God is the most intelligent person. He's the, the author of all the subjects that we're dealing with. And so my life in IT, you look towards people like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs to say, okay, they're great technologists. They're going to be somebody that if you ask questions, they would unlock some great potential for. Um, but when you think about it, God's the creator of all. He is the author of all. And so he is the, he's the master of all subjects. And so whether you live in the trades or whether you have a different type of career, um, say a psychologist, God's the, the creator of all the materials and the things that we're working with. He's, he's the author um, of, of these. And so you think about if we're going to ask the smartest person in the room, it's not Steve Jobs. It's not Bill Gates. It's God. God is the one that, that has all that knowledge to give. And when you think about it that way, it, it helps you to turn to him for that wisdom, for that knowledge. Um, and, you know, when we, when we turn to him, we turn to him in prayer and we seek his scriptures. And um, that is something that's been really helpful for me just to, just to go and to ask because he is a, the, the best resource to go to. Yeah, that's, that's so good, Michael. Yeah, I, I think about... God being a, a generous giver uh, in my own life, in my own journey. And I would say it really isn't difficult to see it in my life. Um, you know, for sure it has been a journey, but it wasn't something that was instantaneous. You know, I, I've asked God to help me, uh, guide me in my relationship with my kids and with my wife and even with my other friends. And he's answering my prayers day by day. Uh, which makes, you know, helps me uh, be reminded of uh, another scripture that's very similar. It's Matthew 6, 33, where it talks about seek first the kingdom and the righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That is so good. You know, I, I, it reminds me, this is one of the things, you know, when James goes on with it, he says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed about by the wind. And, and James paints a picture here of not the waves crashing on the seashore, but the waves on an open sea that are just kind of going up and down, big valleys, troughs. And uh, it reminds me of when in early in marriage, my wife and I, Karen and I, were up on Lake Superior in northern Michigan. And Lake Superior is one of the largest lakes on planet Earth. And it, it can turn into a turbulence like an ocean. It's an inland ocean, essentially. And I remember we, we were on a boat. It wasn't a real big boat. And we came out of the kind of the safety of the port or the harbor and we entered into the lake and the winds whipped up and that that boat 
was I felt like I was on the SS Minnow of Gilligan's Island. I figured we were about to get uh, we were about to get uh, shipwrecked out there on the Big Lake. On your three hour turned, tour on my three hour <laughs> tour. Fortunately, we turned around and came back in before we all ended up losing our lunch. But but uh, you know you see, if you see someone in a situation like that, they get up on a boat like that and they try to walk down like you know walk on the boat and they look like a drunk person they they're back and forth and about collapsing and falling over and that's really like the picture that james gives he's like the person who has this like doubting relationship with god not like a doubter like is somehow we use the term but a person who is like a foot in the world and a foot in faith and they go back and forth back and forth it's like that person we've all known those people that have like an on again off again dating relationship they're like in love and not not love and then in love back and forth they're really annoying when they're like 15 16 but there's people who do that with god too and uh, you probably have a friend like this on facebook where they're like one day they're posting these syruply sickly sweet gross like memes about how wonderful god is and how if you love God like they love God, you'll repost their post and you'll, otherwise you're embarrassed and God will be embarrassed you. And it's, it's all these just absolutely ludicrous things, but it's all very like emotional. And then the next thing you know, that person's like whining because God didn't provide for them, didn't do something. And they, they, they went from one minute having like this Valentine's Day moment with God to this like bleak unhappiness with God. And as a result of that, what James says is that person shouldn't, ex they shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. The person who's back and forth, who doesn't have a genuine connection with the genuine God, that person really isn't going to be a receiver of what God has to offer. And, you know, does this, this is like such a big concept, guys, does that make sense? Does that, does that, that, that concept, do you see that play out in your lives or the lives of people around you? Oh yeah, Absolutely. There's so many times, even now, I give a situation to God, and in the very next breath, I take it back and try to take care of it myself. Years ago, my wife and I were uh, with a small group, and we felt it on our hearts that God is telling us to host a father-daughter dance, and uh, we, we truly felt like God was calling us to do this. And so we did all the planning and the marketing for the event, and one week before the event, we had only sold a handful of tickets. And we were, we were sitting there, okay, well, maybe we misheard or maybe we're not supposed to do this. And we said, well, let's market more. Let's, let's try to, you know, do this on our own. And, you know, that night, my wife and I just grabbed each other's hands and we just prayed as like, you know, almost out of a little bit of, I want to say we were scared because we didn't know if anyone was going to show up at all. And so we just prayed, Hey God, if, if, only these handful of people are supposed to be there, then so be it. But if it's supposed to be more than that, Lord, just we, we're giving it all to you. And the very next day, there was a, a sellout of this event. We, we had to turn people away. We didn't have enough food for catering or anything. We were like, okay, hey, we, we can't take any more people. So God was just showing up and showing off. I love it. And that's so great. I, I, I love a good father-daughter dance. Um, and my, my, my time in those, I think, are coming to a, a rapid close. But I've worn out multiple share, uh, soles of my shoes uh, dancing with my daughter. And, and those, are, those are great things. I think about, you know, the, the double-mindedness and how, how slowly it can kind of creep in. Uh, to your lives and how it seeps in from from other places and I think about for me is just 
when it comes to karma, you kind of think about, okay, um, if I do something good, I'm going to get something good back. Or if I do something bad, you're going to get something bad back. And that's not a biblical perspective, but it's just such a, a widely held um, superstition or, or whatever it is. And, and that's, that's just not a biblical thing to, to think about. But you'll start to see is, that, oh, I better do good or else maybe something bad is going to come back on me. And that's just, that's not what it is. And so you, you even see is that it's just, it's a slow slide and getting some of these um, unbiblical uh, pieces in, inside your head. And that's where, really kind of where you could be tossed to and fro. And so you really need to know um, what, what the Bible says and what God says about things. And I'm, I'm reminded of Romans 12, too, that says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And it, we, we find that we can, we can dig into the scriptures. We can see those things that will give us the horizon and the things to, to work towards so we're not. Um, letting some of these ideas just kind of populate us and then would start to shake the foundation and make us stumble around. That's so good. That's a great illustrations. Both of you guys share and just terrific illustrations from the, from the scriptures, from real life. I love it. You know, uh, what James wraps his thing up with is he says, such a person, that person who doesn't ask God for wisdom with a genuine faith. Cause if you ask him with a genuine faith, faith, with a solitary mindset, then he will give it to you. But the person who asks, but they're holding on to, they got a foot in the world, they got a foot trying to be in relationship with God, but it just doesn't work. And so what James says is such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. And the, 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 the word, the Greek word for double-minded, because James wrote this letter in Greek, is dipsakos. Isn't that a great word? Dipsakos. That's where we get our pejorative English term dip from that guy's a dip. I'm just kidding. I have no idea where, I have no idea where the term dip came from. I don't know why we call people who do dumb things a dip. So I have no idea, but doesn't dips a cost sound like a, a rude word. Like that guy is such a dips a cost. In fact, I would encourage everyone listening to this podcast to figure out a way to weave dips a cost into some conversation you're having and make sure you use it appropriately as in that guy just did something that was totally boneheaded what a dipsacos anyhow so uh it really it it the question isn't what's a double-minded person because we know that is it's really then we need to become single-minded people we need to have a single-minded focus and so what does it look like for a person to have a single-minded focus. And uh, I love history. I love the history of, of God's work in the world. Some people call it church history or, or Christian biography. And, and uh, this single-mindedness, I, I can think of no finer example than five men in the 1950s. This is 1955, 56. And they're all college-educated, bright guys who would have brilliant careers in any career field they choose. And what did they choose? They felt God calling them to the jungles of Ecuador to bring the gospel message to, to native tribes living ancient ways in these jungles, in these forests. And they felt that God had called them to do this. And so rather than pursue what normally we would think of as an as a American dream, nothing wrong with the American dream of getting ahead, but these guys felt God calling them to dream a different dream. And so with a single-minded focus, they band together and uh, then reach out to this, this tribe in this uh, jungle of Ecuador. And it took forever for them to even reach them and to connect with them. 
and make some general connections, but on one of the earliest connections with this tribe that they had deep hearts for, they wanted to see come to know Christ. These five men in the early, early encounter were killed by members of that tribe, trying to share Christ's love with members of the tribe. They were martyred for their faith. And out of that story, because it became a worldwide story, it was in Life Magazine, it was a well-known story of the 1950s, what came out initially was the sense of what a tragedy. These were young men. They were married men. They had children. But eventually, that tribe did learn of the gospel. And eventually, missionaries were able to move into those villages. And, and as a matter of fact, one of the widows of one of the men, she moved into the tribe. Family members came into that tribe to bring Christ's love to that tribe. And from that tribe, many, many, most became Christian people. Now, I share all that story because well, one of the men who was killed, his name was Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott became famous for a quote. Here's his quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, let me, let me read that again because it's easily lost. But Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And what he's saying is, is you can't keep your physical life, right? But the exchange of giving your life for God's work, he had no fear of losing his eternal life. And so he had a, a great confidence in that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an absolutely beautiful quote. And that is singular focus. And that, Bill, that's a great story. That's a, 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 in fact, they made a movie not too recently, uh, a couple of years ago, called End of the Spear. And so if you've never really experienced this story or learned a whole lot more about it, you did a great job recapping it, uh, the high points. But um, it's a really neat movie to go watch if you're not familiar with the story. It's called End of the Spear. End of the Spear. It's a great, great movie. My wife is uh, friends with uh, the wife of the grandson of Nate Saint, the pilot. It's just a remarkable story. If you have a little bit of downtime, watch End of the Spear, and uh, you will thank us you did that. Well, you know, markets go up and down, and, you know, if we're, if we're worried about the economics of a given situation, well, markets just go up and they go down. Every single healthy person, and we are worried a lot about health these days, every single healthy person will die. So far, the mortality rate is at 100%. <laughs> There's your happy thought for the day. You're very welcome. <laughs> every, <laughs> you know, I like to think about this way. Every purchase you ever make will either end up in your will or its goodwill. And so we get all, we get all twisted and we get all worked up about all the things. And only, those things make us double-minded people. And what, what James says here, what God calls us to is a single single-minded focus. And so I leave you with that, is that if lack wisdom, and we all do at some point or another, let's ask God with a single-minded focus. Let's ask God who gives to generously and without finding fault. Brett, would you pray us out of here? Absolutely. Love to. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you um, want us to seek you for wisdom. Lord, help us be a more single-minded people. Lord, I thank you for each person listening to this uh, message today, Lord. And I just pray that you um, bless them and bless each man as they continue to seek you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Well, this has been Bill Search, uh, Brett Williams, and Michael Foster from Crossings. Guys, thanks for your time. Thanks for joining us today, and see you next time. Thank you. See you.